and welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast, the official podcast of the Maryland Association of Counties. Kevin Canale here, the Policy Associate at MAKO, and I'm joined by a very special guest this week, Natasha Mayhew, who is the Legislative Director. Natasha, how are you today? Good. It has been a very busy week here in Annapolis, and today we're going to recap some of the highlights of the second week of the General Assembly being in session for 2018. First, let's discuss a proposal from Speaker of the House Mike Bush and Senate President Mike Miller that seeks to ease the burden on Maryland taxpayers that could result from the federal government's tax reform package. As we've discussed on previous episodes of the podcast, the federal tax relief plan hits Marylanders especially hard. So, for example, the average state and local tax deduction claimed in Maryland is around $13,000, but the federal legislation caps those deductions at $10,000 a move which Senator Miller says could change and result in double taxation on the people of Maryland. The legislative package proposed by the Speaker and the President of the Senate includes a proposed expansion of personal exemptions at the state level and a decoupling of the estate tax from the federal system. In the announcement, Speaker Bush said that the federal law will take away around $680 million in exemptions from Maryland, and the plan here seems to be to restore those personal exemptions so that Marylanders will continue to get the standard deduction provided under federal law. But on top of that, Marylanders will still be able to claim personal exemptions. So Delegate Jimmy Tarlow will sponsor a bill to decouple the Maryland estate tax from the federal estate tax, which, according to Delegate Tarlow, will protect Maryland from $60 million in lost revenue from an increase in the assets um, exempt from the federal estate tax. So, yeah, it seems like this issue is going to be very complicated, and I am sure the IRS is going to have something to say. Stay tuned. These proposals just came on the table. Uh, This is certainly an issue that affects both state and local governments, so we will keep you informed and let you know what's happening here. It's also important to note that the governor has also announced his administration will propose legislation to protect Maryland taxpayers from any of the potential negative impacts resulting from federal tax reform. So hopefully the General Assembly and the governor can work together and work this issue out and ensure that Marylanders are protected. Also this week, the governor submitted his annual budget proposal. The governor's proposed budget of $44 billion represents a 2% increase over the fiscal 2018 budget and, according to him, quote, responsibly holds the line on spending without raising taxes, cutting services, or raiding special funds. Perhaps most importantly to counties is that the budget shifts nearly all the costs of the State Department of Assessment and Taxation onto county governments, raiding county coffers rather than special funds. It makes counties responsible for 90% of all costs associated with assessments functions, information technology services, and the office of the director. Now, counties currently fund about 50% of ESTAT costs for assessment and information technology functions, but notably here, nothing in this proposal provides county governments any additional say in the management or oversight of these state functions. Counties are merely on the hook here for the costs. So this is a state agency, and they want to shift all the costs, well, 90%, onto county governments. This issue has come up in the past. MAKO has aggressively resisted this cost shift, and we successfully got it removed from the state's fiscal plan during the 2017 session, and it looks like a similar effort uh, is going to be required this year. Oh, yeah. Seems like a lot of work um, is going to be required on our end on this. Yeah. Um, Let's get into education. Okay. 
Okay, so the governor's specific direction, the administration is making the largest investment in school construction in the past decade. So school construction projects total $365 million, uh, accounting for more than one-third of the um, FY 2019 general obligation bond funding. Um, so some breakdown here. $314 million for the traditional public school construction program. $40 million for supplemental funding for districts with high enrollment growth or uh, relocatable classrooms. <clears throat> $7.6 million for the aging schools program. Um, and $3.5 million for improvements to non-public s- school facilities. Uh, there's also $1.4 billion in school construction funding that has been offer- authorized during the Hogan administration. So the budget also includes $20 million to meet the state's annual commitment to um, the multi-year Baltimore City School Revitalization and Re- Reconstruction Program. Uh, so, Gavin, what else do we know? Yeah, so the budget funds K-12 through education at $6.5 billion. That's $100 million more than last year, and is it in accordance with applicable statute? Every county will be at least held harmless plus $100,000, which means that each county will receive at least as much state funding as last year plus 100000 And again, that's the floor, so it's just at least that much. Now, the governor is proposing cuts, which seem directly contradictory to some of the Kerwin Commission's preliminary recommendations, and we've discussed the Kerwin Commission at length on earlier episodes of this podcast, so if you're wondering what the Kerwin Commission is, feel free to go back and listen for more information, but... Specifically here, the governor is proposing cuts to the quality teacher recruitment and retention grants, college readiness scholarships for low-income students, otherwise known as next-generation scholars, after-school and summer programs, and that is known as the Public School Opportunities Enhancement Program. And, of course, the ever-important highway user allocations, which is part of uh, MAKO's initiative to increase funding for infrastructure as a whole. Yeah, highway user is definitely important to MAKO. Yes. So the budget includes $178.1 million in highway user res- revenues, uh, in addition to $53.7 million in additional local transportation grants. So this is approximately 8% more than last year, uh, and which included $175.5 million in highway user revenues and $38.4 million in additional grants. So last year, uh, 23 counties received $12.8 million in grant money. And then after the legislature cut counties portion from the governor's proposed $27.4 million uh, budget. So this year, the governor is proposing $27.8 million to those counties. Yeah, so it seems like a little bit of a bump there. And absolutely, as you mentioned, this is an issue that MAKO has been advocating for since, you know, during the depths of the Great Recession, the state needed funds to resolve its general fund shortfall and redirected more than 90% of most counties and cities' highway user revenues to help balance the state budget, 90%. As you mentioned, this is obviously a part of our local infrastructure fast track, or LIFT, initiative, which calls for meaningful local infrastructure funding in the state budget, from wires and rails to pipes and pavement, and of course that includes the restoration of highway user revenues. After the break, we're going to continue discussing the proposed budget, including funding for local health departments. We'll also talk about small cell siting, something that we've discussed here on the program. We'll get an update on all of that after the break.
Welcome back to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with Natasha Mayu. And Natasha, let's get in now to local health departments. What does the governor's budget propose in terms of state funding for local health departments? So the local health departments were flat funded under the budget, uh, just about $49.5 million. Okay. And I guess we should discuss, first of all, how are local health departments funded? So local health departments are funded through a combination of federal, state, and county funds. They're also, um, in certain cases, able to collect fees. Um, And the state portion of that um, is a core funding statutory formula. Okay, so you said, you know, we're getting flat funded this year for our health departments. That's not a good thing. What can we do here? What is the issue and how can we maybe ease the burden when there is flat funding on our local health departments? All right. So um, while we very much want to help our local health departments get more funding, and we hope that they would, um, what we're trying to do is tweak the formula a little bit um, in order to ensure that at the very least um, the formula is increasing appropriately with inflation. So um, to make it very simple, the formula includes provisions that adjust for inflation um, as well as population growth. And what our proposal seeks to do is tweak that inflation portion so that it accounts for the rising costs of medical care, which um, inflates at a higher uh, rate than standard inflation. Okay, so it sounds like if we're using another indicator, you know, we've missed out potentially on millions of dollars. And in the future, potentially, our health departments could receive millions of dollars more. But it is important to point out that this would not just be some massive windfall in the next year, right? This would be spread out over time. So people don't have to worry about Mako, you know, trying to get millions and millions of dollars for next year. This would be phased in and this would be eased in to the budget, right? Right. So while we would not turn down millions sure, and millions no. of dollars we would gladly take it. for the local health departments, we very, very much want this. Um, but reality what, is, <laughs> right? Right. What, what this this aims to do is just reflect and account for increased costs and ensure that the buying power of the core funding formula remains as strong as intended. Excellent. So we will be working very hard on this issue. Again, local health departments are very important to MAKO. They provide invaluable service for our citizens, and we just want to ensure that they're adequately funded. Uh, We're in the midst of an opioid crisis. Obviously, they are dealing with a lot of issues. So it is important that they are funded so that they can do all the things that they need to do in our communities. Okay, Natasha, now let's get into an update on small cell sighting. We have discussed this issue on previous episodes of the podcast, but Natasha, you are the lead on this issue. Let's start with what exactly small cells are and why they matter to county governments. Okay, so for a really simple Mm -hmm. explanation here of what a small cell is, um, typically when you think of, you know, a cell, a telecommunication tower, you think of a big macro tower. And those towers cover, you know, they can cover a couple of miles. Right. Um, what a small cell is, is that it just brings that down in size to something that can be put on um, uh, light poles, buildings, and other sorts of infrastructure. But they also just cover a very small um, uh, radius of space. And so what is the concern here? What have we been seeing across the country in terms of legislation coming from the telecommunications industry 
uh, dealing with small cells and local governments. Yeah, so what you're seeing from the industry is um, an approach where they're going from state to state and they're looking to override local permitting, um, zoning, use of the infrastructure, rights of ways, um, in ways that would benefit the industry's um, ability to deploy the small cells and um, decide how they do that when and those sorts of things. So obviously, we're talking about preemption here, and that's obviously a word that gets MAKO ginned up. All of our members very much care about uh, preemption and local autonomy. So, Natasha, is there any update on where we are with this issue and what we expect moving forward? Sure. And to be clear, you know, the local governments don't oppose advancing technology, expanding access um, for residents to have better um, technology. Um, the What the issue does come down to is, as you said, that preemption. So all we've ever seen is the model approach that is in other states. So we, we are preparing and anticipating for um, that approach to come into Maryland and to have potentially the session, um, we'll see, you know, um, whether a bill is introduced um, to do just that from the industry. And we also are worried about uh, providing broadband access across the state, right? So if we want to see a major investment in Maryland that is going to, you know, enhance broadband and enhance, you know, get to 5G, we don't want to see that in just some areas, right? We We want to expand broadband to everyone. And currently right now in Maryland, there is a digital divide, right? Some of our communities don't have broadband access. So I think what we want to see, too, is that if there is this massive investment, it's for everyone and not just for some areas. Correct. We don't want, you know, this divide to just grow even deeper. And if some parts of the state are being targeted for um, advancements and to move to 5G and new technology, um, the other parts of the state that are, are still lagging and underserved or unserved, we don't want them to fall even further behind. So keep tuned to MAKO for uh, continuing coverage of this issue. Uh, we're working very hard and we're engaging with all the stakeholders here, and we'll certainly keep you updated of what's happening with small cells. Natasha, thank you so much for coming on today and explaining all of uh, or much of your, uh, your areas here, I mean, with local health departments and um, small cells, just some of the issues that you're working on. But I really appreciate you joining today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Next week, we will be back on Friday with a recap of the Week in the General Assembly. Don't miss it on Friday. Until then, signing off, Kevin Canale and Natasha Mayhew. Have a great week.